1: BT's Connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back.
2: Did You Read with Tim Montgomery. Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. I'm Tim Montgomery, Comment Editor of the Times. Joining me today, I have three Times columnists, Hugo Rifkind, Jenny Russell
3: and Alice Thompson. In Saudi Arabia last weekend, 63 women were brave enough to defy the regime and take part in the greatest gender-based protest in a generation by driving their cars to the shops. A country which treated any other minority, Jews, black people, so badly would be an international pariah. So why are we so willing to be relativists in our values when it comes to women?
4: In the past few months, we've discovered that we're all the targets of secret mass surveillance by the British and American spy agencies. The security services can now track everything we do online, every call we make and every text we send. They can know everything about us. And yet we in Britain just don't see the threat that poses. Every other country is incensed, but we're dangerously indifferent. We need to wake up now.
5: Were we right to close down large parts of our economy and transport network this week? after the storms jude our local councils and government agencies right to prevent us from making our own assessment of personal risk in our lives and what are the implications for a country which no longer at its best when at its bravest has from westminster to the school playground become deeply averse to taking risks of any kind
2: so those are the three issues we'll be looking at this week civil liberties spying and risk but hugo we're going to start with you and your column on gender inequality across the world and your argument in your piece for the times was that we worry about gay rights um, when those those are uh, contaminated in any way around the world. We worry about uh, persecution of Christians but for half of the world's population we seem to be indifferent to this issue. One of the things you didn't really say in your column was whether you think this problem is getting worse or it's always just been a
3: big problem that we've turned a blind eye to. I think in some parts it's getting worse. Yes, I mean it's not like we do we do nothing. You know, we do have sort of great kind of women's rights programs around the world, as mainly through the through international development. But we tr- but it's exactly that we treat women's rights as a development issue, never as a security issue. So it's never the it's never the subject of high-level discussions. It's never the cause of sanctions or threats of drone strikes or anything like that. It's a sort of background. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a sort of background little sort of evil that goes on, and even. Even away from governments, I mean activists, general human rights activism finds it hard to really motivate itself about women's rights. If you look at sub-Saharan Africa at the moment, um, you have this great and wonderful wave of kind of protest against, against laws, um, new sort of uh, invasive laws against homosexuals. But the fact that this is happening against a backdrop where, where rape is endemic, where domestic violence is endemic – um is sort of not is, is somehow less glamorous, less exciting, less remarked on Alice Thompson.
5: I remember that after nine eleven when we first went into Afghanistan, there was a huge issue about going into the country because it would help women and that women weren't allowed to do anything. they were all covered up. they had burqas and People really ridiculed that when Sherry Blair and Hillary Clinton both actually suggested it. And uh, it Laura Bush s-
2: made it a bit one of her, Bush, her signature issues. And I wonder issues,
5: whether so. it's partly the idea that men shouldn't die for women and to a certain extent, that you know, just because women want to go to school or women want to do this. And, and it is extraordinary in a way. And the only issues we talk about in Britain now is whether women should work, whether they shouldn't work, how you have the work-life balance. We aren't really pushing ourselves forward. So it's rather amazing in a way to have Hugo as a man. <laughs> saying, look, actually, all you raising, have to talk raising, about is your Raising own the lies.
2: issue on behalf of uh, and maybe uh, women. And should
4: be looking and raising the issue them.
2: Jenny Russell.
4: I'm very torn about this because on the one hand, I completely applaud Hugo for raising this, and I think that issues like sexual violence throughout Africa, where I've lived, where most women get raped by the time they're 40 by somebody or other... Um, and female genital mutilation are incredibly important and I think you're right that these issues just don't get addressed. Where I'm very wary is about our rights to start intervening in societies like Saudi Arabia to say you should have a whole different value system from ours. I just wonder how we would feel for instance, if the Saudis said we'll only trade with you if you stop your women driving because we think that um, the proper way to conduct our foreign policy is to make sure that your society becomes more like ours. I think that there's a really difficult problem with assuming that our values and our culture is the right one for other people and that therefore they have to take on many of the beliefs that we have. I think societies have to work out their own answers. So I think it's fantastic that the women in Saudi Arabia are protesting.
2: Hugo ended his article by saying, cultural imperialism is not always a dirty phrase, not when we're right and they're so very, very wrong. So you have
3: absolutely no objection to imposing um, these beliefs, Hugo. In in some cases, no, not at all. I mean, to to borrow a line from the fundamentalists, we're just right, they're not. Um, And it's... um, (laughs) I mean i mean if we have any sort of if we have any liberal values in our country, which of course we do i mean we believe we believe in universal rights we believe in we, we 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 believe that it is wrong to discriminate on any grounds and um and so it's not so much i mean it's almost like we're talking about two different things when we talk about imposing our values on Saudi Arabia it's like we don't i mean I don't think anyone would talk about forcing Saudi women to go out to work, forcing Saudi women to drive, forcing Saudi women to leave the home in, in, in bikinis. Um, but, um, I mean, there's, there's a different argument to be had about, about removing the barriers, about about freedoms. Pe- people, are, people are able to behave in, in whichever way they want, in my book, but everyone should have the freedom to behave in the same sort of way. Jenny, because we are, are we not? Hugo
2: is right. We're talking about fundamental human rights here, aren't we? And actually, some of the biggest contraventions are by some of the people we rely on or see see as some of our important allies across the planet in the war on terror for example.
4: We're totally hypocritical in our foreign policy if a country is important to us like Saudi Arabia basically we won't protest about anything that it does but where I think the problem lies is that simply by our saying some a situation should be changed. We're neither going to change the political situation nor, more importantly, the belief system of most of the people in that country who support it. It's a much more complicated business than that. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think Saudi Arabia's society is totally reprehensible. I don't know whether we can change it. I think it has to come from within. I think the people have to start arguing about it there.
2: Alice Thompson.
4: I think what was most depressing about Hugo's article was... The fact that
5: actually they have been trying in Saudi Arabia to change, but it's the same amount of women that actually it hasn't got any larger. The revolt against what's happening to women—that that, that it's, was it's, the most—it's
3: it's, it's thirteen more women in, in twenty-five <laughs> years. So, so the, the situation's not entirely bleak in that so respect. They, they yeah. do,
5: exactly. They need they do need our help actually, and that nothing well, is being to, to say it can happen inwardly, and that they can change themselves. Is, is, do, Alice,
2: do you have any, when you say where well, they need our help? What what are, what are we talking about?
5: Well, I think the idea that I mean. To a certain extent, I think it should be women. But I think the idea that we can air it more, that we can say more, that we can put more pressure on them, that, you know, we don't have trade embargoes against any country that's doing anything against women. Yet we do quite happily have trade embargoes against them
4: if they're... So
2: are you proposing we have trade embargoes against Saudi Arabia until they let women
3: drive?
4: Trouble is they've got what we want. We want their oil. We're not interested in a trade embargo. Mm.
3: Hugo. But we're quite happy to say, you know, we have to bring Saudi Arabia to the table to talk about, say, Syria. For example, I mean, it should, be, it should be shameful for Cameron to ever speak with a Saudi Arabian official without mentioning women's rights in Saudi Arabia. You know, if he didn't if he didn't mention that if he if he met with met with Saudi Arabians and didn't mention Syria, this would be considered a great gaffe and a great missed opportunity.
4: Well, in, it in, should in, it
3: should be at least on a parity.
4: In, in that, I agree with you. I think there's nothing wrong with us saying this is what we believe. All I'm saying is I don't think you can start imposing it on other people to raise the question, to embarrass people, to make people within the country feel that um, those outside are supporters of what they're trying to do. I agree with that.
3: Final word to Hugo before well, we have to move on. I think if we're going to intervene on any sorts of grounds, then these are the sorts of grounds we should intervene on. We will intervene or we will will campaign and we will pressure and we will will, use sanctions on behalf of all kinds of minorities, mainly ethnic groups. There's this huge, huge minority, not even a minority, and I think it is is neglected in in, in mainstream diplomacy.
2: Thank you, Hugo. we're on now to our second topic of the day, the one introduced by Jenny Russell at the top of the podcast. And Jenny, you wrote a piece for our sister paper, The Sunday Times, about – the whole row over the bugging of Angela Merkel and the collection of data by the US and British spying authorities on millions of private citizens. And you fear that we're nowhere near as worked up about this as we should be.
4: No, I, should, I think that in Britain, this revelation has been greeted by a collective yawn. And yet we've got the European allies of ours are in a state of absolute fury. You've got questions being asked in the Senate. You've got the White House admitting that surveillance has got too, gone too far. You're now having congressional committees who are going to debate how far the surveillance should be pulled back. Even um, our MPs have finally announced that the Intelligence and Security Committee is going to start looking into the whole issue of mass spying tomorrow. But I think we're just absolutely blind to the dangers of all our information. Everything that we do, every click that we make late at night, every web search that we make, every text that we send, every email can now be accessed by the security services and not just by the security services, by anyone who hacks into them. I mean, look at the Times front page story today about Mm. the computer hacker going in and saying, I've now got the information that would enable all these government employees. I can steal their identity because I now know enough about them. Anybody will now have access if they choose, to any of the information that we would like to keep private and secret about ourselves. I mean, this is a complete change in the way our society operates, and we're not paying any attention.
2: But Hugo, if our security services are going to protect us from terror, and they are going to be able to need, therefore, to be able to know what the people who are plotting against us are doing, they can't just target those people. They have to target all of us, do they not, so that they can harvest that data that they do need when when they need to look.
1: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Well, I mean, that's
3: possibly. I mean, that's that's a case you can tell. I mean, I, I, actually, I actually agree com- completely with, with Jenny. And as, as you'll know, I've, I've argued... have one that, of your big topics on, on the off-air pages of the Times. Yeah, and so I argue yes. this on an almost daily basis on our editorial conference. <laughs> um, I've been there. I, I think, yeah, I know. You, but... Um, uh, not, not that it help, but helps much. Um, I think there are I mean, reasons. For, I think Britain is remarkable, remarkable, um, remarkably unique in its approach to this. We don't care very much. I think there are historical reasons for that. Basically, we find it quite hard to come to terms with the idea that our government could be malign. Yes. You know, we're, we're almost unique in Europe in never having had a totalitarian malign government. Yeah. And so we find it really hard to sort of conceptualize the idea that this could happen. In terms of what you, I mean, what you actually asked me, Tim, um, I, th- I think, I mean, yes, there's, there's a difficult, there's a difficult balance there. What bothers me is that nobody's debating this balance, nobody's drawing right. this balance, nobody. You never get them. Um, I actually wouldn't mind even quite invasive sorts of surveillance, provided it was acknowledged that this was happening
5: hmm. and, provided- uh, and
3: overseen by and overseen. democratic yeah. Alice Thompson.
5: I think I'm one of those people who really don't mind. The problem is that I don't care how much information they take off me. I think there are very few occasions when I would mind if my texts were seen or my emails. I'm so used to it now, thinking that everything's going to be seen, that thinking that my phone messages might have been overheard. I don't really operate in a world when I think that I'm not going to be under surveillance. And I assume that we've got cameras in most places.
2: Alice, let me read you something that uh, Jenny wrote in her Sunday Times article. Bank employees have illegally accessed others' bank's details to use in divorce battles. Policemen have tracked and harassed their ex-lovers. Health staff have used databases to taunt their rivals over sensitive medical details or make nuisance phone calls to their former in-laws. Those are just practical... Real examples of where private data has been used against people on a private basis. Do you not worry that actually the government, the amount of information they have on you or anyone could be used by a state if it becomes bad in some
5: ways? I think it does. What I'm trying to explain is is how people feel about it, that in their day-to-day life, it's not their priority. Their priority is actually... You know, is going to end up being fuel bills. It is going to end up being... It's it's those sort of issues that matter to them. They're not worried. And there are a few cases, and we had the case with a police officer who is using it to track down an ex girlfriend. That there are going to be cases like that, but for the majority of people, because they feel they live in a benign state, they aren't worried about it. And
2: you've written on previous occasions, actually, in terms of internet and yeah, I am much people are more about worried the, uh, about child porn. Exactly.
5: I'm far more worried about what my children are accessing and what they can get hold of and what they're doing on the net than I am worried about what anyone else is coming in and hacking in. To them and there are one or two occasions like I think mental health when you look at your records I wouldn't mind any of my medical records being shared actually if it was going to help in any way at all but I think there are one or two issues where they should be you should have far stronger checks and that isn't so, so that Jenny
2: could that's could the, the feeling you're up against the culture of indifference you rail against is in this very podcast studio <laughs>
4: Yes, and I, I can hear what Alice is saying, but I think she's just not being very imaginative because we all have a private life where we keep our, our insecurities and our fears and our weaknesses and we don't have to take those out into, into the public realm. And it might be that you've got depression or that you, as, a, as a mother you're having an abortion or that your partner is planning to leave you and you don't want that to be public or that your um, child has been accused of a sexual assault or, or you know... There are so many embarrassing things that go on in our lives. That's one element of it. The second element is that you have to think about how this information could be used against you, either by a hacker or by the state. Now, I think because Hugo's Jewish and because I come from South Africa, we both have, in our recent family histories... Uh, Great consciousness of just how the state can turn against people when it wants to, we've and been how here it since can both blackmail you. <laughs> what
3: we've been here since eighteen ninety. Yeah. Okay, but, but nevertheless,
4: you 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 know what can happen yeah. when a state t- decides to turn against either individuals or groups, and what they can do with that information is either blackmail you or make sure that nobody takes you seriously, and they can castigate you, and if you turn out in any society to be active against the state, you might be protesting against fox hunting or badger hunting or against road building, then the state does turn against you.
2: Well, we're going to have to move on to our next topic. And I have to say, I'm one of those people who sits in those editorial leader conferences where Hugo (laughs) battles for um, a much stronger line on um, these issues. And one of the things that you mentioned, Jenny, in your article was just the incompetence of the people that we're dealing with this is a point that Danny Finkelstein makes, actually, which is for me has always been the big scandal of this, is that the American authorities just weren't able to secure this data on any practical level, than that 480,000 was the number you used, Jenny, as of security contractors, have the same top security clearance to access the kind of stuff that Edward Snowden walked away with. But our third topic is um, risk. Alice. And um, I think you were thinking of the storm of Monday. And um, I think I may be one of the people that you, you, you are worried about, because I decided not to come on my bicycle into work, which I normally do, because I was worried about being blown over the road. And um, I came in on the tube. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Or what are you worried about in Britain's attitude to risk? On a personal level,
5: actually, no, I think what you did was rather Is commendable because you're making your own judgment about whether you want to take a risk or not. What's difficult about a situation like the storm is when the government now has to take over all sense of risk. So they're telling you what you can and can't do. They're saying you can't go through the parks or closing all those. You can't go... On the trains, we're closing them 10 hours early. You can't do any of this. And actually, when you look at it, this wasn't a hurricane. It's not on anything like the level that you see in America. But we're so worried about risk on national level now that we aren't allowing people to make any sort of objective decision of their own. And actually, in the national curriculum, there is a whole section on risk. Mm -hmm. But children aren't allowed to be... to decide what risk to make or what not to and we've lost that ability on risk. there is a whole section on learning about risk in the national curriculum that's what children are supposed to learn but in fact they don't really <laughs> learn about it because they're not allowed to anymore it's too
3: risky to expose them to risk <laughs> well, exactly
5: and I think the worst thing as well is that that then pervades every sense of government so now you know, the politicians are now terrified of making any risks themselves so you look at David Cameron he makes very few risks you know, Ed Miliband has refused to take any risks at all now with things like HS2 He's not going to say one way or other what he believes on most issues. And there are very few politicians left who know how to take a risk or a gamble.
2: So, Hugo, this is the thesis. We're too frightened to go on trains when it's windy. And um, our politicians are too frightened to do big projects like HS2 for the future. Do you, do you buy this thesis?
3: No. Um, I, I, um, I think, um, I mean... I I wouldn't fight so strongly for the right to take the risk of going on a train that might get hit by a tree. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a strange civil liberty to go for <laughs> here or in Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of the storms that just happened, this has been a glorious success for, for our friends at the Met Office. You know, they've done incredibly well. They predicted what was going to happen. They warned people who closed the right things. You know, the, the damage was kept to a minimum. Lives were, you know, lives were saved. I mean, this this is what this is a system working perfectly. We'd notice it if it went wrong. Um, on a a sort of larger scale um, I mean politicians do I mean they do sort of you know they do take risk you know HS2 is a risk I think Cameron's not going to pull out on HS2 is he think he's going to keep going we've just we've just commissioned it's
5: taken them 20 years just, to come to a decision about it just do because they're so worried just, about it yeah, we just look, commissioned, at, look
2: we, at, i suppose the fourth runway third runway just at Heathrow Airport. we well. just
3: commissioned an enormous nuclear power station
5: that, yes, that, that, look that, that, look that's, that's, us. that's we so risky as to be actively stupid
3: <laughs> and yet we're doing it
5: you know? <laughs> no, we're constantly <laughs> waiting and waiting until it's almost too late so with power it's almost too late for the nuclear power stations they should have been done 20 years ago that we we spend yep. so much time vacillating we can't actually yeah, come to conclusion i think alice's got
2: a good point on that jenny russell
4: I have to say, look at what we're doing with the welfare system, the riskiest computer system ever, and it looks as if it's not working. IDS is a great project to roll out universal credit. The Uh, government keeps taking risks. Given what's
2: happening with Obamacare in America, Barack Obama probably thinks it's a risk he wish he hadn't taken on a big IT uh, project
4: (laughs) as well. So so, I mean, they they do, no, no, but um, but I think they do keep taking the risks, and very often they don't pay off. That's part of their anxiety. But I'm not sure that I agree with you specifically, Alice, about the storm, because I'm very grateful, for instance, that if trains were a danger to us that they didn't run. But where I do agree with you is that in general I think our society has become far too risk averse. And of course it's all to do with the compensation culture. When it snows and head teachers close schools it's because they're worried that they'll be sued if the children slip on yeah. the icy paths and break their legs. So everybody has to go home. And that's the same reason why they don't let kids play with conkers and it's why people don't allow um, strangers to swim in their ponds outside and so on. And it's absolutely insane and I wish something could be done about it.
2: You can certainly imagine what would have happened if the train companies had run on Monday morning and more trees had fallen on the lines and there'd been derailments. But lots of people who perhaps would have lost relatives or have been injured on that train would have. Would have sued yes, that. I mean, it's that not is the case a case that you
5: shouldn't do it. And actually, problem. I think the trains that the, they don't need to stop them twelve hours beforehand, which is what they were doing. And they also there was a very good letter saying that actually before, when they knew there were going to be storms, you would have British Rail in the Dales of British Rail. They would be going out and they would be checking the lines and they would be making sure they could open as soon as they possibly could. Whereas with us, it is just a foregone conclusion that everything will close for twelve hours. So. Yesterday Hyde Park was closed with none of the trees were down in Hyde Park just in case a tree went down. There are a lot of areas you could walk in Hyde Park where there are no trees, but you're not allowed to make that judgment for yourself just in case.
4: Perhaps you could just sign something as you went into Hyde Park saying, I will not sue if I die. And that's the problem, isn't it? I do agree.
2: Well, I think we could probably talk about risk um, for a lot longer but I'm not going to risk this podcast lasting longer than we're in our allotted time so all that's left for me is to thank my three guests Alice Thompson Hugo Rifkind and Jenny Russell and my producer David Maguire Some of the articles that we've been discussing today in this podcast can be read on thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral which is our blog which is where you can find this podcast Please do subscribe via iTunes and do tune in again next week thank you very much
1: for listening